going to go old school on you. Start off here today. Um, even precedes me, which makes it really old, I guess. I don't know. No. <laughs> um, um, I only remember watching it on reruns um, on our independent station where I grew up. Um, it was the show F Troop. Anybody remember F Troop? Anybody? Yeah, Ken Berry and all those guys. Yeah. Yeah. There was a, it was a, it was basically a spoof of Westerns is what it was. It was just a, a silly show, half hour show about uh, being silly. <laughs> and uh, the opening whole kind of storyline that they put into the song form that was the theme song for it um, talked about how the leader of this particular fort got um, got his commission. And he got it by retreating into victory is the line that always stuck with me. That uh, he accidentally called a retreat and in the retreat he ended up winning the battle. And I remember growing up thinking, could that really happen? Could you really retreat into victory? And as I grew up and started to think of more serious things and more serious realities, I came to realize that that is, in fact, the only way true victory can be found. It's through retreat, through surrender. Joseph Campbell once said, we must let go of the life we have planned so as to accept the one that is waiting for us. And in that quote, in that line, what he's getting at, what he's talking about is, is how we move forward in life, how we take that next step, how we understand what's coming next. In order for us to really continuously move forward in life, in order for us to grow, in order for us to become who God has called us to be, we have to let go of who we are right now. It's the only way growth occurs. It's the only way change happens. The more you hold on to who you are and what you have and what's going on and all those sorts of things, the harder it becomes to see what the possibilities are for the next step, for the next reality in your life and in your experience. Turn with me, if you will, to Exodus chapter 14. Uh, next week we'll be jumping into uh, our Christmas series, looking at the four, uh, over the next four Sundays, looking at the four messages of the angels in the birth narratives and what they have to say to us, what they communicate to us about who Christ is, about who we are in Christ. Uh, but this week I wanted to, to, to visit the Old Testament, spend a little time um, in um, that part of the Bible that is my life in many ways. So we're looking here in Exodus chapter 14, and, and this is uh, the Exodus itself that we're looking at here. And this is probably one of the more well-known events. It's the one that fascinates us. It's the one that uh, uh, we look forward to and wait for in all the movies about Moses and his life and his experience. How are they going to do this one? Because it's the parting of the Red Sea, the dividing of the waters, and the escape that God gives his people through that path. But I want us to see as we look at this passage today, God's words to Israel in the midst of it. What is it that he's saying to them 
that he would say to us as well? What is it that he's saying to them that characterizes the nature of their relationship, the nature of our relationship with him, that communicates the path of surrender, that communicates the realities that need to be a part of who we are? So beginning in verse 10, we read, When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to Yahweh. They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us up out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of Yahweh, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Yahweh will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Yahweh said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am Yahweh when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word. I thank you for these awe-inspiring stories of your power and your majesty. And I thank you that you are still working in our lives, still transforming situations, still moving us in the direction of your desires, through your power, through your miracles. God, may we learn the power, the strength of surrender this morning, and commit our ways to walk in a way that's pleasing to you. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. So as we talk about the subject of surrender, the, 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 the first thing that I think I need to remind us of, and I remind myself of when I say this, is that there is no shame in surrendering to God. Our culture views surrender as loss. Our culture views surrender as establishing ourselves or setting ourselves up as something less than we were before we surrendered. We have rock anthems that tell us to never surrender. We have movies and TV shows and so forth where this idea of surrender is is or of not surrendering is glorified, and it can become a mindset and a perspective that we have that, man, I, I can't surrender who I am. I can't let go of who I am. I can't release these things that are so important to me. 
God is great. God is awesome. God is powerful. God is more than anything that we can have here on this earth, including our own standing, including our own worth, if you want to put it that way. As the creator, as the provider, as the sustainer of all that is, we would be foolish to hold on to what we have to refuse what he's offering. Y'all are familiar with the story of Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed by some indigenous peoples down in South America. And how before he had surrendered to missions, he had a promising medical career. He was one of the top students, could basically choose the hospital he wanted to work at, specialty he wanted to pursue. He was set up by American standards, by earthly standards, for the rest of his life. Financially, in terms of his, his fame, in terms of his uh, recognition in his community, But he felt the call of God to missions. He felt the call of God to surrender all of that, to let go of all of that. And his friends called him a fool. His friends called him an idiot. His friends said, how can you do that? How can you give up so much for basically nothing? And in response, Jim gave the quote that has become kind of his, his life motto, his, his marker of who he is. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never lose. There is no shame in surrendering to God because in surrendering to God, we find life, we find a future, we find who we were made to be. And most importantly, we find him. His power, his majesty, his work. But what do I mean by surrender? What does it look like to surrender? Our passage this morning illustrates that in several ways. First of all, it communicates to us that surrender means it is in someone else's hands. And when I use that pronoun, it, I mean everything. Whatever it is you're dealing with. An uncertain future. A relationship that you're struggling with. A purpose in life. A, a direction for decisions about work or school or any number of things, whatever it is in your life that you're holding on to, whatever it is in your life that you're not letting go of, surrender begins by recognizing that it's in somebody else's hands. And I love verse 13. Verse 13 is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. 
when Moses says what? Fear not. Stand firm and see the salvation, the deliverance of Yahweh. Don't be afraid. Don't let fear cause you to become immovable. We've all had those moments. Sometimes it's momentary. Sometimes it lasts a little bit longer. But those moments when something happens, when something enters into our experience where we feel like we just can't move, like we just can't respond. We're overwhelmed by circumstances. God's response in such circumstances is, is fear not. Why? Because you're not in control of it anyway. I am. That's what God is saying. Stand firm. In this particular case, it's better translated with what? Stay where you are. That's what Moses is saying to the Israelites. They're all thinking, maybe if we run back to Pharaoh and his troops, maybe if we if we turn over and we say, hey, we wave our white flags and we say, hey, we'll come back with you. We're sorry. We made a mistake. We listened to this, this, this guy who's who's planted all sorts of weird ideas in our head. We didn't mean it. Moses says, uh-uh. Stay where you're at. And I have to wonder, his words are very concise here, but I have to wonder if he if it's running through his head, did you not see the ten plagues? Did you not see what God just did to the Egyptian gods? These entities that the Egyptians worship were proven to be nothing but objects in the hands of God. Just animals or other things like that. Nothing at all that competes with him. Did you not see that? Did you not experience it? Just a few days ago, you spread blood over your doorways. You prayed to God and you, you heard the moans of the Egyptians as their firstborn were taken away. You saw God bring Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, to his knees. And now you're running away. Now you're ready to flee. And we're just like that. We see God move in miraculous ways in our lives. We see him heal a loved one. We see him deliver us from circumstances and situations that are way too big for us. We see him provide for us in, in ways that we didn't see coming. Suddenly it's there. And I know that life is not always like that. I know sometimes we lose our loved ones. I know sometimes 
God lets us go through the consequences of our actions. I know sometimes God chooses not to intervene. But there are enough of those times, there are enough of those circumstances, there are enough of those moments in our lives where we see God move in a miraculous way that we can stand on that. And on top of that, even in those times when we do lose, even in those times when, when things don't go as we hoped they might, we've seen God get us through those times too. We've seen him deliver us. So stay where he put you. Stay where he's led you. Look for what he wants to do next. The third thing, what? See God's deliverance. See God's salvation. See what he is going to do in your life. Why? Moses says, because Yahweh will fight for you. But it's hard. It's hard because there's so many things that our minds, our hearts, our minds are battling against. There's fear. We're afraid of the unknown. We, we don't know what's going to happen next. And we know what humanity is capable of. In the depths of evil, it will stoop to at times. And so we battle with fear. Sometimes it's our are shaping influences. It's our experience. It's the path we've been on that causes us to struggle with giving things over to God, letting Him, letting, recognizing that He's the one who's in control, that it's in His hands. Maybe it's how your parents responded to things. Maybe it's how you were trained or taught to respond to things. Maybe it's your own personality. I tend to be an analyzer. I, I tend to like to break things down and, and plot out the, the next course of action in a logical manner. This is the way we should proceed. And there's certainly nothing wrong with that, except when what? When it gets in the way of recognizing that God's in control and not me. When the steps I outline are not his steps, they're my steps. When the path... I chart is not the journey he would have me pursue. Sometimes it's a hardened conscience, a hardened heart. You've been hurt or you've been wounded or you've gone through so many things that you're just not willing to trust someone else, including God. How do you know if that's you? Maybe you're doing a lot of justifying. You're justifying your actions, your sins, your activities by declaring, it's not so bad. I'm not really that guilty of anything significant, am I? Maybe you're rationalizing. You're, you're minimizing your actions. Maybe you're accusing others. Well, they made me do it, or they did this, or 
they did that, not really taking any personal responsibility. Maybe you're just choosing alternative facts, as has become our culture of late, where everybody makes up their own rules and their own definitions of how things work. All of those mindsets, all of those reactions reveal a hardened conscience, not open to what God wants to do. But really, I think at the heart of our failure to surrender, if you boil it all down, it comes down to one thing, and that's a desire for things other than God. We want other things more than we want Him. Whether that's qualities or characteristics or fame or material blessings or whatever it is, we want those things more than we want Him. Israelites what? They were they were willing to enter back into slavery rather than trust God. For what reason? Because they'd rather have their quote life than God. We need to value God first and foremost. And once we begin to see him for who he is, we can begin to see our situations for what they are. They are in his hands. Secondly, surrender means we do what we're told. I love God's words to Moses here. Don't cry out to me. Why are you even coming to me with this? We're not told exactly what Moses says to God at this point. It simply jumps from Moses' words to the people to God's words to Moses. But apparently there are some exchanges going on here where God, where Moses is saying, Help, God, these guys are getting out of hand again. What do I do now? And God's like, don't cry out to me. I've told you how this is going to work. I've told you how this is going to go. Are you worried about things I have already addressed? I've already dealt with Pharaoh. I, I, I've put the pillar between you and him. I brought the plagues into his life. I have dealt with him. So do the things I've already told you. Number one, step forward. Verse 15, God says what? Tell the Israelites, get ready to move. Get ready to walk forward. Get ready to Go the direction I'm telling you to go. Number two, step out. Verse 16, Moses, you stretch out your rod over the, the sea, and it'll be divided. 
Number three, walk through. And again, I, it just overwhelms me just, just seeing this moment. The passage tells us not only are they going to walk through where the water formerly was, but it's going to be dry where they walk. Now think about that. Think about your own life and experience with water. You spill it. it. Takes quite a bit to get it sopped up. Right? I mean, isn't that at the heart of every paper towel commercial that's out there? Our paper towel can soak up water like nothing else can. Here God is moving a sea. And water he moves it away from is dry. All that sand that holds onto water so well. All that all that is just dry and you can walk through. None of that made sense. None of God's instructions here make sense. They're trapped up against the water, get ready to move forward. Moses, step forward, put your staff out over it. I'm going to separate the waters for you. And then y'all are going to walk through on dry land. None of it made sense. And sometimes God instructs us, calls us, challenges us to do things that don't make sense. But we know that we know know that they're the right things to do. And so because he has told us, we do it. We surrender our logic. We surrender our desires. We surrender our ways of doing things to him. And then thirdly, surrender means that God gets the God says here, I'm going I'm to harden the hearts of Pharaoh. In other words, I'm going to make them stupid. That's the case here. After seeing everything they've seen, after seeing everything they've experienced, they're going to pursue you through this water. They're going to follow you into this area that I've just led you through. They're going to let go of any logic they have. Well, you know what? If you move the water out of the way, he could probably move the water back in. Not even going to think about that. Because their hearts are going to be hardened to pursue you. But look at why he says he's going to do it. So that the Egyptians may know that I am Yahweh. That sentence is a covenantal sentence. It's a relational sentence. He's not just saying so that they'll know I'm the big guy in the block. They'll know that I am the most powerful one. They'll know that I'm the amazing one. That's not what God is saying there. 
God, when he says to David that someone may know that I am Yahweh, he's, he's talking about relationship. He's saying that when they know about this, when the Egyptians find out about this, they will turn toward me. It's a promise he made back in chapter 7. It's a promise he's continuing here. And I turn your attention to, to chapter 13 where as they're coming out, it says, as they're coming out of Egypt, they were a mixed multitude. And what that phrase simply means is this, that everybody who's coming out of Egypt was not descendants of Jacob. There were others in the group, people who were not Israelites, people who were not descended physically from Abraham. They were Connected. Some of them were Egyptians, we find out later on. Some were from other tribes, other groups. The most famous one is Caleb. We all know Caleb. You've heard any stories about the spies or the entrance in the land? Caleb's right there. He's, he's right there next to Joshua in terms of his work. But the text tells us that Caleb was not born an Israelite. He came into the group. He's part of that mixed multitude. Why did God rescue Israel? He rescued Israel in part because of his promises to Abraham. But a bigger portion of it was what? So that his fame would spread. God is always in the business of saving. And the way salvation is experienced, the way salvation is discovered is by acknowledging who he is. And that he alone can deliver. He alone can save. He alone can change our circumstances. Picking up in passage, verse 14, or verse 15. Then the angel of God, who was going before the host of Israel, moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and Yahweh drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided, and the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. That last sentence there, on their right hand and on their left, that's a Hebrew way of saying everywhere. It was total deliverance. It was total salvation that God brought Israel through that day. And we need to remember in those times that we're struggling, in those times where we're seeking our own way and our own will, when we're refusing to surrender, that what God is offering us, what God is leading us to, what God wants us to see and understand and experience is total salvation. Total deliverance. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, whatever sin it is that, that has a grip on you, 
God can deliver you from that sin. God can rescue you from those chains that bind you. Paul, over and over again in his letters, challenges the church, calls on the church to recognize the power that's present for us. And yes, he admits himself that he struggles with situations, the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. He struggles with those things, but he says what? He also says in Romans 8, we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. We have the power of God dwelling within us. We have the power of God directing our lives. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to us to live our lives, to overcome sin, to find contentment, to find peace, to find a future. But it only happens when we surrender. It only happens when we let go. It only happens when we recognize that God is God and I am not, and I need to place my life in his hands. That's when life is found. That's when we discover who God has made us to be, and that's when we know what direction to go next. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your life, and love, for the gift of relationship with you, God. God, I pray that you'd help us to to examine ourselves and to ask ourselves, have we surrendered? Are we surrendering? Are we walking in a way that reveals reliance on you and not ourselves? God, help us to let go of those things that we should have let go of long ago. We praise you. We thank you for all you've done, for all you are. In Christ's name, amen.